the, uh, the National uh, Retail Federation defines the, the winter holiday season as kind of lasting from November 1st through December 31st. Uh, and they, uh, they report some statistical trends uh, concerning spending by U.S. households uh, during those two months of the year. That every year since 2009, because 2008 was a bit of a financial crisis, but every year since 2009, holiday spending has increased from the previous year. They estimated that on average, uh, the average American household this year, they said, spent uh, about $880 uh, on uh, holiday-related spending. Uh, and uh, analysts are expecting total holiday spending in America to set an all-time record this year uh, at uh, somewhere between 942 to $960 billion dollars. Uh, and uh, sounds like if nothing else, hol- the holiday season forces us to uh, examine our uh, financial situation uh, like no other time of the year. Uh, hopefully, uh, you sit down and examine your finances and make a budget before December rather than kind of spending uh, rampantly and then figuring that out afterwards uh, without much uh, forethought. Uh, and uh, it, it is a, a good thing to, to sit down and take inventory. 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 Here we go. That's the right word. To k- take inventory uh, of our finances in, in preparation of uh, Christmas. It's always a, a good thing to, to look at our, our earthly possessions, uh, what we have, what we can afford, uh, and uh, just to know what we have and where our money ought to go. Uh, but uh, it, is, uh, it is even more important to sit down regularly and, and figure out or to inventory, to examine uh, our uh, spiritual riches. Uh, our uh, heavenly possessions. Uh, and that would be a, a tremendous help to our souls, I think, in this month of December, uh, when uh, it usually goes by so fast. Now, usually this month we feel uh, worn down after a busy fall. Uh, oftentimes uh, we are uh, discontent with what we have uh, and uh, envious and covetous of what we do not have. And Christmas is a, is a good time to contemplate uh, our spiritual possessions. Uh, It brings the focus of the birth of Jesus to the forefront of our minds. Uh, And uh, we we cannot just stop at at celebrating his birth. Uh, We have to remember uh, why he came, uh, what he came to do, uh, and how he accomplished uh, his purposes. Uh, and uh, in, in striving to, to set our hearts uh, and affections uh, on those things, I would ask you to, to turn to 2 Corinthians 8. Kind of an, an unlikely place for a, a Christmas message. In this uh, portion of Scripture, the, the Apostle Paul is, uh, is exhorting the, the Corinthians, and he's, uh, he's telling them that uh, he's going to, to send... Uh, one of his uh, assistants, one of his helpers in ministry, Titus, and, and another unnamed uh, man. He's going to send Titus and this other gentleman uh, through their uh, church and, and through their region. Uh, and Titus is taking a collection to help the saints in uh, Jerusalem. And uh, Paul is, is giving them uh, an, an exhortation and an encouragement, basically asking them to, to give uh, generously to, to help the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, and as Paul is uh, uh, encouraging their generosity, if you look at the very beginning of Second Corinthians 8, 
uh, he, he's going to, to point to uh, the churches in the region of uh, Macedonia, uh, the, which would uh, include churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and, and Berea. And he's pointing out how, how those churches gave uh, generously uh, to help their brothers and sisters in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, and that those churches even gave uh, out of their deep poverty. Uh, and then in, in verses 7 and 8, uh, he, uh, he encourages uh, the Corinthians uh, to, to give and to abound in that same work. If you look with me in verses uh, 7 and 8, it says, But just as you abound in everything, in faith and word and knowledge, and in all earnestness, uh, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Now, I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. So sometimes when Paul is giving instructions, he, he sprinkles in some examples. He says, hey, here's this principle being lived out by others, and this is what it looks like. Uh, and then in verse 9, he, he, he draws their attention to another example. Uh, and uh, uh, it's an example that we probably wouldn't expect to see here, but uh, it, uh, it is an amazing uh, commentary, not only on the situation at hand, but also uh, something more. If you look with me at verse 9, which is where our focus is going to be this morning, the Apostle Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though being rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What we have in these words is uh, really an inspired commentary on the significance of Christmas, uh, of why Christmas is important and what Christmas uh, accomplished uh, and in these verses, Paul is describing, this is what happened when, when Jesus came to the earth. And he mentions two reversals uh, that are connected with the incarnation, with Jesus coming down. And, and these two reversals teach us about the spiritual riches that we possess and how we came to possess them. Uh, the, the first reversal that we see uh, is a reversal of Christ's standing. Now, at the beginning of that verse, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though being rich... Yet for your sake, he became poor. Uh, th this reversal in Christ's standing, uh, moving from uh, great riches to great poverty. But you, you may ask, uh, how was Christ rich? In what way? Well, I'll just think through some of the, the verses that we've studied through in the Gospel of John. The very beginning of John's Gospel. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God verse that we're going to be studying in the future, John 17, 5, the high priestly prayer. Jesus says this to God the Father. He says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus left glory in heaven, all the riches of heaven, left all of that and came down, condescended to the earth. Hebrews 1, verses 3 and 4 says, speaking of Christ, says, who is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power, who, having accomplished the cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. He who was greater than the angels came down and became a man. How did Christ become poor? 
left all of those riches behind and he came and he was uh, low, he was humble, he was in poverty at birth. As we were reading through Luke's gospel this month, did you catch uh, what uh, Mary and Joseph did on the eighth day? As good uh, Torah-keeping Jews, they, they, they took their son to the temple to dedicate him. Uh, and uh, it, it's amazing that as they, they came and they brought their, their offering— uh, there's kind of a, a hierarchy of, of offerings uh, in the Old Testament and under the law uh, that if uh, the, the, the offering that you were supposed to bring was for a lamb. But Leviticus says if you, if you can't bring uh, a lamb to bring two turtle doves, and if you can't even afford two turtle doves, just bring an offering of grain. Uh, and we see in Luke's gospel that, that Mary and Joseph, uh, they brought two turtle doves. They couldn't afford to bring a lamb. What's amazing, as Jesus came down to the earth, he could have placed himself into a, a very wealthy family, right? He says, well, I'll, I'll become a human, but I don't want to become the, the, lowest, the lowest level of humanity. He, he entered into humanity, and he didn't place himself in a wealthy family. Humbled himself in his birth. Even as we've sung, and as you all know, the, the circumstances that he was born into, not in a luxurious hospital in Bethlehem, Bethlehem General. Uh, he, he wasn't there. He was born and, and laid in a manger. He didn't come into this world in wealth. But he was also humble and low and poor in life. Also, as we read in Luke's gospel, uh, as, as he was speaking to others about the cost of, of following him, Again, he says this in passing in Luke 9. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't go through his uh, earthly ministry with, with a ton of possessions. He wasn't walking around uh, Israel with a U-Haul, uh, carrying everything around. Uh, he, he was making it day by day relying upon the lord he was not uh, wealthy in this life he was also poor and lowly in death philippians 2 summarizes it in this way encapsulating this very well who speaking of christ although existing in the form of god did not regard equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. By being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even the lowest of deaths, the most humiliating death, death on a cross. Now, if you were to, uh, to see uh, this kind of a reversal uh, in a normal human being's life, uh, you would immediately assess it as something has gone tragically wrong. Uh, stories abound of uh, celebrities, professional athletes, uh, lottery winners, uh, going from uh, riches to, to poverty because of uh, circumstances, because of uh, decisions. Uh, there's many stories of professional athletes getting swindled for all of their money, uh, making bad investments, uh, of celebrities uh, doing similar things. Uh, and whenever uh, somebody uh, has this kind of a reversal, it's always viewed as a tragedy. But, but this reversal that we're 
speaking about, the Apostle Paul is, is bringing to our attention here, this is not a tragedy. Now, this reversal was not due to a mismanagement of resources. Jesus was not swindled out of heaven. He willingly laid aside all of his heavenly glory, all of his heavenly riches, all of his heavenly rights and privileges, and humbled himself, condescending to become a man. Become to us as a little baby, dependent upon a human being. Why would he do such a thing? Why would he do that? We're going to look at what does the Apostle Paul say in this verse? That though being rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. And in the, the you there, or your, uh, in the Greek is, is plural. So I've said, so it's uh, y'all's sake. And somebody graciously came up to me a few days ago, someone who spent some time in the South, and they said, it's actually all y'all. So it's, it's a double emphatic. So if you're going to bring that up. So Jesus did that. He went from riches to poverty for all y'all's sake. He did that for us. This reversal that he experienced was for our benefit. Though rich, he laid aside his riches and he became poor for our sake. But, but in what way do we receive a benefit from this? How is this uh, a benefit to us? How is this for our sake? Well, it leads to a second reversal that's dependent upon the first reversal. So the first reversal is that there was a reversal in Christ's standing, and that leads to a reversal in our standing. This is the emphasis in the, the latter part of the verse. Paul says, so that you, or all y'alls, uh, through his poverty might become rich. Christ's reversal brings about a reversal for us. He was rich and became poor so that we who were poor could become rich. And you might say, what did you call me? In, in what way am I poor? In what way are all of us poor? We are all, every man, woman, and child who has ever walked upon the earth, we are all spiritually poor. We are all spiritually bankrupt. We have absolutely nothing to commend ourselves to God. We come to God with empty, outturned pockets. God, I have nothing to bring to you. This is what, what Jesus was alluding to and speaking about in the Sermon on the Mount, his, his famous Beatitudes. And he begins with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. See, those who, who recognize the, their spiritual poverty, those who recognize that they are utterly and completely bankrupt with nothing to bring to God, it is those who inherit the kingdom. It is those who enter into the kingdom of God. Not those who come and say, hey, look at all that I have to offer. I'm going to earn my way in. I'm going to buy my way in. I'm so clever, I'm going to get myself in through my own works and through my own wisdom, through my own merit. Oh, Christ is a benefit to us because we are spiritually poor, spiritually bankrupt. But if that is our condition, then in what way are we made rich in Christ? Uh, I love what Ephesians 1, 3 says. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with 
every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, we have an exact number of spiritual blessings, right? Did you guys catch that? What was the exact number? Every. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to us in Christ. Well, what does that mean? What are these spiritual blessings that God has bestowed upon us in and through Christ? This is not by any way an exhaustive list, but I'll give you a few. Regeneration. A new heart. God breathes spiritual life into us. Takes out that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. He removes our sin. Our sin is taken from us and it's nailed to the cross of Christ. Where it was judged and paid in full. And that's, that's always looming in the background of Christmas. And that's why I always love to sing... Come behold the wondrous mystery. I love to sing hymns at Christmas time that connect Christmas to the cross. Because that's always hanging over the life of Christ. Even at his birth, his death is looming in the background. But regeneration, we have the removal of sin. We have the forgiveness of our sin. Since our sin has been paid for in full, we are completely forgiven by God. And as a result, we also have peace with God, reconciliation. Uh, We are declared righteous by God uh, because uh, our sin is placed upon Christ and Christ's righteousness is placed upon us. We are adopted into the family of God. Uh, We are sanctified. We are delivered uh, from the power of sin. Uh, We are slowly transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus, our Savior. Uh, We have an eternal, imperishable inheritance in heaven. We have glorification to look forward to, uh, the, the, the deliverance from the very presence of sin in our life, uh, and uh, a, a new resurrected body which, with which we will not even be uh, able to sin in the future. We have eternal life with Jesus in heaven. As uh, we heard last week studying Psalm 73, uh, Worshiping Christ and being found in Him also has leads to joy and satisfaction in this life. Joy and satisfaction that nothing else in this world can provide to us. We also see the normal uh, everyday life experiences of the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when we live those out, there are numerous, numerous blessings in all of our relationships as we are in harmony with God and with others. These are the spiritual blessings. These are the spiritual riches that Christ became poor in order to give to us. This is the reversal of our standing. One of my, one of my favorite Christmas movies is It's a Wonderful Life. Now don't get your theology from there. Uh, I know that those three blinking dots are, and uh, angels getting their wings, but... Uh, but it's one of my favorite movies. I'm not an emotional guy, but at the end of the movie, I always get something in my eye. Uh, and um, there's a spoiler alert coming here. At, at the end of the movie, uh, George Bailey, played by, by Jimmy Stewart, is on the verge of, of being arrested and thrown in jail. Right? And, he, and he's uh, about to be arrested and thrown in jail because his uncle misplaced uh, a huge deposit for their savings and uh, loan uh, uh, 
I guess it's a bank or company. Uh, and uh, uh, so, so George is uh, just about to be arrested. He's in a, a heap of trouble. And uh, this tension is resolved as all of, all of his friends come together. Uh, and in essence, they raise the money for him. They are happy to contribute uh, to set him free. Uh, and uh, the, the, the movie ends with that, that re- great reversal of many people working to reverse the fortunes of one man. Uh, but in Christmas, we really see the opposite of that. Uh, where in that story, it's, it's many coming to reverse the fortunes of, of one. In, in Christmas, we have one coming to reverse the fortunes of many. Uh, and not uh, sort of just buying us out of trouble with that one situation, but, but bringing about the ultimate salvation. Bringing about a, a, uh, a salvation of our greatest need. The forgiveness of sin. That is why Christ came. To live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, to to rise again on the third day. And all of that begins at Christmas. All of that begins with the angel Gabriel coming and announcing a birth. It all begins with angels and shepherds beholding this newborn king. This is the reversal that we experience because Christ humbled himself. And you might ask, how exactly does that reversal take place in my life? Right? If, that, if that's the, the reversal that is spoken of here and offered, how, how do I go from being spiritually poor to being spiritually rich in Jesus? Number one, by grace alone, if you look at the very beginning of this verse, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This reversal is, is not anything that we do. It's nothing that we accomplish. It is a gift that we have not earned. One that we do not deserve. We have contributed nothing towards it, and yet we receive it. It is by grace alone. Secondly, it is by, by faith alone. Faith is the, the catalyst for this reversal. Faith is how we are to respond to God's grace. Uh, God works through our faith to bring spiritual riches into our life in Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, and it is in Christ alone that we look to Jesus. He is the object of our faith. He is the one that we trust in. This means that we, we no longer rely upon ourselves. We no longer rely upon our own efforts, our own merit. We, we again, we, we turn out our pockets We say, I have nothing to offer, and I'm going to rely completely and solely upon Christ. Without him, we remain in our natural condition, spiritually bankrupt, spiritually dead. You are, uh, if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Christ in that way, if you haven't turned out your pocket, sometimes we're willing to turn out one pocket, but not the other. I, I need a lot of help, God. But I still have some good qualities. still have some things. If you're here this morning and you have hesitated to trust fully and completely in Christ, I would plead with you. I would urge you to look to him and him alone. Trust in him, no longer on yourself. He came and humbled himself. He went from riches to poverty so that you, in your poverty, might become rich. Trust in him. And we all need to recognize and rejoice in these two reversals. 
Christ's voluntary reversal from riches to poverty. And this shows the depth of his love, right? What would you be willing to give up for those you love? Anything and everything. Christ did that to come to seek and to save the lost, to save his people, to live and die and rise again on our behalf. And that enables this second reversal, what we get to experience, this reversal from poverty to riches. And that is the very heart of why Christmas matters. The, the first reversal is the emphasis of Christmas, right? Christ going from riches to poverty. God becoming a man. But this second reversal, this is, this is to be remembered and celebrated and treasured in our hearts and in our minds. Uh, and sometimes we need our rejoicing to be recalibrated. You catch also in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, when the, the 70 had been sent out to, to cast out demons and uh, to do miracles, and they came back and they were rejoicing. They're all excited. Right? These are good things that have taken place. But do you remember what Jesus said to them? Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Re- recalibrates what they should be uh, rejoicing over. And those, those are good things, but what the, the ultimate thing that they need to rejoice over uh, is the salvation that they have in Him. And Christmas is a time where we need to recalibrate what we are rejoicing in and about. Now, now it is good to rejoice. It's good to, to feast uh, and to eat with friends and family and, and to celebrate by giving gifts. But sometimes uh, we, we lose sight of what we are to actually rejoicing over and, and about. We lose sight of Christ. Uh, and this is in, intended to, to recalibrate, to, to reexamine our rejoicing. But we must rejoice over the fact that if we have trusted in Christ, that our names are written in heaven. They, they are recorded there, and they are recorded there because of these two reversals that we see in this little verse uh, that Paul uh, kind of gives to us in passing. But it highlights the importance of the incarnation. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though being rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Let today be a day of remembering and a day of rejoicing over those two great reversals. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's stand. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to sing one last song. Uh, I know I'm going to go over time a little bit. Well, we, I think we can do it today. Uh, we're going to sing one last uh, song, but let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll sing, uh, O Come All Ye Faithful.